Uh, good morning and welcome to Scarlet City. Uh, if you're new here, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'd love to connect with you after our worship gathering in the lobby. Uh, two announcements. I want to highlight one uh, that Jenny already mentioned. We have a, uh, the fundraiser she talked about on Friday, August 12th, is a parent's night out. So if you have kids, and uh, this is a great opportunity uh, for you to get a date and uh, to support something important. Um, and you can sign up uh, you, or email Kirsten. Uh, her email's in the, in the bulletin, and, and we'd love to um, have you join us for that. And then also we have fall classes kicking off middle of October. Uh, one of them is the Poverty and Race Seminar. It'll be four Tuesday evenings beginning October 23rd. This is a great opportunity to learn and engage in uh, what it looks like for the gospel uh, to inform how we uh, engage in poverty and race and to see those connections. And so we had uh, this past summer, we had this seminar. It was a great opportunity um, for many of us to engage. Um, and so don't miss this, this opportunity. Uh, and there will be other classes as well. We'll be sharing those in the coming weeks and a great opportunity for you to grow uh, in faith. I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. And Acts is in the New Testament, the part of the Bible written after Jesus' life. And there are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And after the Gospel of John, you'll find yourself in the book of Acts, which, are, which is the Acts of the Apostles, the, the, uh, God's Word uh, showing us how the church began, the first century church plant movement, its beginning. And Acts is written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He write the, writes the book of Acts. We're going to be there, Acts chapter 16. Well, as a church, we're in a season of considering legacy. This is our third week in this sermon series, looking at uh, the ways we can invest now that can lead, that can tell God's story after we're gone. And we began looking at investing in God's Word, how God's Word and God's story forms the foundation for what a legacy is to be about. Last week, Mike preached about discipleship, how we take God's word and invest it in relationships, uh, that the gospel movement, is, in fact, discipleship is walking with Christ and inviting others to walk with us. And so it's taking God's word and investing in specific relationships so that the gospel movement can be bigger than us and continue on. And this week, we will, uh, acknowledging we begin with God's word, that leads to discipleship. Discipleship leads to planting churches. That the core of God's program of making disciples around the world is the local church. And so we're going to consider this morning, we're going to look at what it means to join God's church planting story. And I'm going to uh, read our passage in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, as we look at an example of a church plant. An example where the Apostle Paul plants a church in a city called Philippi. And I want you to pay uh, particular attention to God's calling, how Paul and his team discerned God's leading in planting a church, and then some uh, practical ways it played out. So we'll begin in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. And they, that's Paul and his uh, companions, his team, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, we, interesting, we set out to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of God for the people of God. We find ourselves here in Acts chapter 16, and this is Paul's second missionary journey. And in this journey, he's going to travel around the region planting churches. In fact, when it says in our text that Paul and his team, they were uh, led by the Spirit or prevented by the Spirit to preach the word or preach the gospel are the terms used in the text. That is equated. Uh, Luke, when he says that, he wants us to have in mind preaching the word leads to planting churches. We see here God's first church planting movement, how it emerged. And it requires us to consider what does it look like for God's church planting movement to continue today. Now, in talking about this, I think there's a few things we need to acknowledge at the, at the front. Uh, one, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you think, oh, I'm talking about a church planting movement. I mean, I don't even know where I fit with God in the first place. How can this be relevant for me? Right now, I mean, Paul and his team and being led by the Spirit and visions, what does that mean for me today? Now, this reminds me of when uh, Megan and I moved here to plant a church. And I, it was always interesting uh, in meeting people, meeting our neighbors and building relationships when people would ask me, what did I do? And there was a part of me that wanted to say something like, I'm a a spiritual entrepreneur or, uh, you know, just not answer the question. Because when I would say I'm a church planter, you could imagine they would look at me and just blink. Church planter. And I think in their mind, I I knew what was going. They were wondering like, okay, does this guy just travel to churches and tend to a garden or something? Is this like a church horticulturalist? Is that what he does? He just... Is about plants around a church. And so I'd give them a moment to think about it, and basically, and then I would explain a little bit. I know that sounds a little weird, and, and, and it is a little weird, um, but basically what, what I'm doing is I'm here to start a church. And it's interesting there because non-Christians and Christians sometimes have the same response to that. It's, and it is, why, why do we need that? Why do we need to start churches? I mean, we see a lot of them. There's churches around different corners. Why the need for new churches? Why, why is this? Why, why do this? And to explain, you know, every church at one time was started. Every church has a story, a beginning, 
Every church was at one point a plant to explain to people, hey, you know, every church you see was at one time a plant led by just some people with this crazy idea of starting a new one. Uh, but also, it's important for us to consider, just like the churches were needed to be planted years ago here in this community, the need for new and fresh vision and planting exists today. Because as we look at Columbus, look at our city, the whole city is not reached. And so this morning, I want to invite you and me to consider, if you're not a Christian, this is a great opportunity for you to hear and engage and see God's program for the church. And I want to invite you to consider what that can mean for you personally. But for the rest of us, for people who, who align with Jesus, I want to invite you to consider today, how is God leading you and us to be a part of his church planning journey? As we consider legacy, we are gathered here today because of the churches and men and women who have gone before us, who have faithfully made disciples and planted churches. It is our leg in the race. What does it look like for us today to continue that legacy? And as we do it, we're going to look at basically two things. Uh, first, church planning, uh, why we do it and who leads it, and then we'll close really practically considering as a community, what does it look like for us today? So church planning, why we do it, what it looks like, and then what practically does it mean for you and me? So first, church planning, why we do it and who leads it. Why plant churches? Again, that question we want to tackle, and here's, here's the core reason why. Church planting reminds us of our core vision of preaching the gospel and making disciples. In verse 6, we begin, Paul and his companions are traveling throughout the region. And what are they doing? What is Paul and his team doing? Are they traveling around the region, enjoying going on a little vacation, uh, wandering around, experiencing different cultures so they can you know, have that experience? No. Are they traveling around the region just stirring up trouble? Well, they do stir up trouble, but that's not the goal. Are they itinerant evangelists that set up camps and Paul gets in front of groups of people, preaches, and, and some come forward, and then they move on? No. They're planting churches. Planting churches. They're establishing new churches, new communities of faith. That's why uh, later... Or that's why in verse 10, it can say both in verse 10, it says, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, they're trying to discern where is God calling them to preach the gospel? And this preaching of the gospel leads to what a church established that this woman, Lydia, will learn more about in, the, in a few minutes. Lydia, she uh, houses this church in her home. Bap, uh, people are baptized into the local church. We see the local church established here in Philippi. And so it forces us to ask the question, when you hear the word church, what comes to mind? In fact, just take a moment, think about it. You could write it down in your card. What comes to mind when you hear church? Uh, for some of us, when we think of church, we think of a building. And it's why there's often confusion if you were to say, I'm a church planter. People Plant, you know, because many people, they think of a building when they think of a church. Uh, for others, you think of a program. 
a gathering where people, where people come together and a service is held, music is sung, uh, there might be preaching, uh, there's communion and so forth. We think of a program. And then even then we have uh, certain preferences and what that can look like. Some might like more traditional church program where there might be a choir uh, or, a, or a gospel choir, a praise type gathering, or others are experiencing a church program as maybe fog machines and lights and just compelling music. We might think of a program when we think of church. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, nope, those are the wrong answers. When I think of a church, I think of a people. And you might even be happy. You think of a people when you think of church. Well, okay. A people. That's true. A church is a gathering, ecclesia, a gathering. But what do the people do at this gathering? What happens when you think of a people? You just can't imagine random people gathered together and call that church. That's not what it is. It's a gathering of people for a specific purpose. Specific purpose. Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, summarizes his mission of his disciples, and look at what he says. The text will appear on the screen. This is after Jesus' death and resurrection. He's about to, this is called the Great Commission. And he says this, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore, in light of the authority that I have, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One of the things scholars will note is what Jesus is doing here in this great commission is he is showing the program of of establishing churches. Because when the first century, the first Christians, when they thought of church, when they thought of church, the first symbol that was used wasn't a cross. The cross was one of the earliest symbols, but the first symbol was a fish. It was a fish. And it reminded, and the reason that the first churches used this is because it reminded them of a few things, of what it meant to be a Christian and what the first churches were to be about. Or a few things. First, The fish reminded them of their authority, that they submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who gives and takes away. And this was what they celebrated. They saw themselves as people of what was called the way. The way. They looked and talked and wrote regularly about being under the authority of Jesus Christ. A second, when they thought of the fish, they thought of people gathered together and breaking bread. Sharing a meal. That they were the gathering of God's people. And third, it reminded them that they were fishers of men and women. That they were there for a purpose. That being under the authority of Jesus required, required that they take the good news of who Jesus is to the nations. And the Great Commissions, we see Jesus' authority We see Jesus sending his people to the nations, his followers to the nations, and we see baptisms. This was the local church. The local church were the people under the authority of Jesus, entrusted with the teaching of Jesus, leading to the baptizing people and observing communion. 
This is the local church. This is God's program of reaching the nations. So, this teaches us something very important as we consider leaving a legacy and what the church is about. I want to say this. I want you to hear it. The church is about you. The church is about you. Now, not probably in the way we might be used to hearing that. The church is not about you and that it's about just your preferences for music. The church is not about you and that it's about your preferences for particular programs. The church is not about you because it's where you go to have fun. The church is about you and that it's about us being empowered to take the gospel to your neighbors. The church is about equipping you to be a missionary in your neighborhood, workplace, and city. The church is about you. It's about how you can be equipped to join in the mission that God is sending his people on. And so as we take it another step further, the church is about us. The church is about us. It is about us understanding the calling that the gospel brings on us to contextualize the gospel in Columbus, Ohio. You see, after all, it's, it's so interesting. Luke, in recording this first, one of the first church plants, he draws us. We didn't read the entire passage, but I want to point you to, to a few things. There are three different people that are reached in Philippi. Three different people. Now, I'm sure three different people that Luke mentions. Now, I'm sure there's a number of people that would have come to faith. He highlights three. The first is Lydia. Lydia was a wealthy business owner. She was a woman of influence. And it says that she was a worshiper of God. Now, there's some debate about what this means. Does this mean she worshiped Yahweh and then came to faith? We don't quite know, but what we know is she was a religious woman, a devout woman, a woman, a business owner. There's Lydia, a wealthy religious person. Next, Paul and his team encounter a female slave, a poor woman, a woman who saw her purpose tied to people in power, a woman who was used, exploited. We see Paul and his team encounter this woman. And then we see Paul and his team in this fascinating exchange. They minister to a jailer, a man of power. In each case, Paul and his team take the gospel and apply it in a unique way. Why is Luke drawing our attention to these three different examples? Here's why. Luke wants to show how the gospel applies to someone on a personal level and also how the gospel challenges and applies on a social level. Wealthy, poor, middle class. Religious, irreligious. Women, women, men. The gospel applies. The gospel transforms. The early, and all of them, by the way, at the end, are meeting in Lydia's house as a local church. 
The church is a place where the gospel is preached and the gospel is practiced and people can come and observe and see and experience the power of what that leads to. The local church is God's plan for preaching and displaying the gospel. And so as, as we think about church planting, you know, church planting reminds us, it forces us to consider why we're here. Why, why we do what we do. What this is all about. Because there's this temptation to begin with a vision of reaching people and making it about the gospel. And then over time, the pri- rather than the priorities being reaching people, making disciples, it can become, oh, well, you know, are we having pews or chairs? What color do we paint the walls? Do we invest, you know, what, what is the building going to look like? What's our style of music? And we need to be careful that we forget why we're here. A church planning reminds us of what it's all about, why we do what we do. And before we move on, you know, leadership writers know this and apply this to organizations. Whether it's Jim Jim Collins or Malcolm Gladwell, they talk about the importance for organizations to not lose their focus. There's this temptation organizationally to forget what you're here for. And as a church, the temptation is no different. We're not here to build an empire. We're here to extend God's kingdom. We're not here to craft a cruise ship so we can all enjoy the buffet of Christian services that we can invest in. We're we're here as fishermen and fisherwomen to preach and display the gospel. Church planting reminds us of our core vision. Now, who? Who plants churches? What we see is that God calls people, not just a person, to plant churches. In verse 6, it's Paul and his team. Paul and his companions. Who's with Paul? Who's on this team? We see Paul, an apostle. We see Silas. Later we learn that there's this man, Silas, who's one of Paul's core teammates. And also, interestingly, Luke. In verse 10 it said, we. It says, we. Luke is a part of this team. Uh, Later we'll see a new believer, Lydia, join the team in helping plant this church. Paul can't do it alone. A team is necessary. It takes a people to plant churches, not just a person. And here's there's some key reasons why. First, why we need team. First reason is we all need authority. Everyone needs authority. Everyone needs authority. Paul needs authority. In Acts chapter 15, Paul is sent out by a collection of leaders in Jerusalem. They actually gathered, the chapter before, they gathered to consider, is the gospel open to the Gentiles? Now, thankfully, they said yes. <laughs> The gospel, yes, is open for the Gentiles. And therefore, they send Paul throughout the region to reach the Gentiles. Paul's under the authority of the first century Jerusalem council. This is important, that no church should exist as an authority in and of itself. 
we are all connected back to the teaching of the apostles and the creeds of the early church. No pastor, not even Paul, is above the need for authority on his convictions. But also, there's a general authority, but also, also there's a practical authority. Look in the text in verse 10, Paul has a vision. And then it says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. So they're wondering, where should they go? Paul has a vision. And then the team, Paul and his companions, conclude that's where God's leading us. It's not just Paul. Paul can't just point, wait, and say, here's where we're going. He needs the team to prayerfully discern and to conclude, yes, this is where God is leading us. Everyone needs authority generally, and everyone needs authority practically. There is security and safety in decision-making as a team of God-appointed leaders. We all need authority. Second, we need different perspectives. We need different perspectives. It's why, it's why in the Bible we have four Gospels and not one. It's why God establishes teams to have different perspectives on his truth and how it is to be applied in particular places. We need different perspectives. None of us here, none of us here, no one person has the perspective of God for all time and all places. We all are shaped by our background and cultural experiences, and so we need people of different background ages and cultural experiences to shape our perspectives. We need different perspectives. You know, I experienced this firsthand yesterday when I took our youngest son, Jack, to the Ohio State football game. Jack's three years old, his first time going to a football game, and I'm, and I'm thinking, I cannot wait. This is going to be awesome for Jack to enjoy the things I enjoy. And you take a three-year-old into, a, into that experience, 100,000 people, and, and it was interesting, his comments. Um, when the, when the, uh, his first comment was this, why is there a big TV? Like, well, so that we can watch the game. He said, but daddy, I thought we come here to watch the game not on TV. Man, you are observant. Uh, second was when the players run onto the field and they kneel down. He said, why don't we all kneel down and pray? I don't know. We could. Why is it just the players that kneel down and pray? I don't know. I don't know why. Interesting perspectives when, for someone experiencing something for the first time. We need different perspectives. We need different perspectives. That's why team is so important. At Scarlet City, we need team teaching. As much as I like to think I might have the take on everything, I don't. I'm a person with my own perspective and experiences and tendencies we need diverse perspectives. Also, we need to raise up new leaders. We need new leaders. Lydia comes to faith, is passionate about it, and persuades them to stay at her house. And she ends up housing a church. Church planting brings us to a place where new leaders are raised up and empowered. And lastly, who plants churches? We need a community. It's a people. It's churches that plant churches, not a person, not a denomination. Churches plant churches. So fast that Paul plants this church in Philippi, and then we see him write a letter 
to this local church. Years later, listen to what he says in Philippians, a letter to this local church that was planted. Paul begins it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And then he outlines one of the reasons why he thanks them in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then later in this letter, he specifies why he thanks them. It's for their financial support and their willingness to take the gospel to Thessalonica, another town close, close to Philippi. Paul is writing them, thanking them for their partnership in planting churches. The movement continues. And so as we now move and consider what does it mean for you personally and us as a community, we're reminded church planning is the core vision of God's gospel work. Reminds us of why we're here and what the church is about. And it's people who plant churches. And so, let's get practical. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Some questions for us to consider. The first, how is God calling me to invest in his work? How is God equipping you and me? In the passage, Luke highlights new believers in their role, the role that they play. In verse 15, speaking of Lydia, says, When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. She says, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she was persuasive. She persuaded them. They did it. Lydia has a home. Lydia has resources. She leverages those resources to host and plant a church. Then we see this jailer in verse 34 and following. It says, the jailer brought them, brought Paul and his team into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. This jailer is excited. He and his whole household. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with this order. Release those men. Release Paul and Silas. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. The jailer gives them the inside scoop. Lydia, a wealthy woman, is able to host a church in their home. This jailer, this person connected to the authorities, is able to help them out, and give them the inside scoop of what's happening. The point here is this. They each can play a role. They each play a role in God's work. What is the role that you can play? What role can you play in church planting and God's work continuing? You know, we all, reminder, we're all called to invite others into God's story. We are all called to proclaim and practice the gospel, to preach the gospel and live the gospel. Everyone. Regardless of your background, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are invited into that work. But now, what are some of the unique ways you're called? Calling is confusing. It's one of those terms that Christians, we bat around. What does it look like to process our call? What, what is that? Is there a phone number? That, there, does God call our phone and say, thou mustest go to Philippi? You know, is, is that? No, of course not. Few few ways you can process God's call. First, think, considering again your unique call, think about creation and recreation. 
How has God made you? How has God made you? With what temperament and natural talent did God create you? What temperament and natural talent did God not give you so you need to depend on others? What spiritual gifts did God give you? What biblical stories and persons resonate with you? God created you, and there's some uniquenesses to your story, to your passions and your abilities that God wants to use for his work. And so take time. Write something down. What brings you joy? What brings you joy? You're allowed to lead in your passion. For some people, what Paul's doing brings a lot of joy. There's a certain excitement. Traveling the region, planting churches. For many people, that sounds terrifying. What's your story? Also, consider providence. What has God given? What has God given you? What has God given you? Lydia, she had financial resources. She had a home that was large enough to host a church. Some of us have been given a lot financially. Others of us, not so much. What has God given you that you can use to invest in His work? What stories have you been given to tell? How has God worked providentially in your life? providence. What has God given? What is your story? What can you bring? And lastly, redemption. How has God worked in your life? What are evidences of his grace in your story? With what limits, weaknesses, and sins do you particularly struggle? That can shape where you lead and where you invest. What saviors are you most tempted to trust in instead of Jesus? How has God made you whole through the gospel? Where have you experienced healing that can shape where you lead? How has God's grace been shown in your life? How has God been brought redemption in your story? And so consider that as you think of investing. What, how were you made? What has God given? And how have you been whole? How have you been made whole? And so in the coming week and season, I want to invite you to consider that. How has God uniquely worked in your story and how can you leverage his work to invest in his continued church planning story? And lastly, how is God calling us to plant? How is God calling us to plant? How is God calling you and how is God calling us as a church? And we're out of time. (laughs) So I want to just be brief. As a church, we need to enter in. We need to be faithful to play our, uh, run our leg of his race because we want the legacy to continue after Scarlet City is gone. Scarlet City will not be here forever. We're here for a season. The story must continue. We must invest in these initiatives in order to be a church planting church. First, leaders. Who is God calling us to send? Eventually, we're going to need to create a pathway for church planning that trains leaders, assesses leaders, and sends leaders to plant churches. 
This is in our future, and I cannot wait for it, by the way. Second, place. Where is God calling us to plant? All in the text, you see the importance of place. They're trying to discern. Where does God want us to go? Place is huge. Place is important. Paul and his team need to balance a global perspective and a local perspective. They need to go to places the church isn't. But they also need to go to places right next door. Philippi helps plant a church in Thessalonica. It was a neighborhood. It was a neighboring city. Local and global. Uh, There's a temptation for us to just want to do one or the other. To just plant places far away and to just plant places close. We need to do both. And lastly, timing. When is God calling us to plant? They're trying to discern timing right here. And it's so fascinating because Paul and his team, they want to go to Bithynia. You see the tension. They want to go there, but God prevents them from it. Does the gospel ever reach Bithynia? It does. In fact, one of the first and greatest councils in the history of the church, the Council of Nicaea, was in Bithynia. Nicaea was a city in Bithynia. God had a plan for the city. It didn't include Paul and his team at that time, but eventually people would go and reach the city. We must trust God's timing. We need to be refrained from being foolish. As we close, this is so important because uh, I have a few friends, a few pastor friends passionate about church planting, and in their passion, they planted before they were ready. And they established churches, but then their church didn't make it. They sent too many resources, people. They may have established something new, but that church lost its effectiveness. Uh, Vineyard Columbus does a fantastic job of church planting. I was talking with Rich Nathan about what it looks like to be a church planting church. He had a great metaphor, and we'll close with this. Think, Think of a fire. When a fire first starts, it's small. If you take the log off the fire, the fire will go out. Even though you start a new one, you need a fire that's strong enough that you can take one of the logs off the fire to start a new one so that both burn effectively. Friends, God is calling us toward this work to church planting. We want to do it effectively. I want to invite and ask you to consider your story, how God has called you, how God has made you, and let's Let's us collectively press toward the work of seeing the fire of God continue. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded that you are a missionary God. And we thank you for it. That you are a God who wants the nations to know you. And God, the history of the church is full of men and women who were faithful, many of whom experienced persecution. May we be faithful. May Scarlet City be faithful. May the story of your work not end when our church is done, but may we be a catalyst of disciples being made the city being reached, and the world seeing and hearing the good news of the gospel. Amen.